you're entering a realm of imagination where dreams are told between the lines of the universe. This is a Midnight Tale podcast. I am your host, Celeste, your guide through this dream world. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a Midnight Tale podcast. I'm glad that you're all back this week. I'm really sad that October is already over. Honestly, it went by way too fast. And I'm trying to keep up my Halloween decorations just a little bit longer. So for this week, we're going to try to keep up the spooky vibes just a little bit. Keep Halloween alive a little bit. This week, Celeste travels to a small city where it's big enough where people don't know your name, but they'll recognize your face if you've been around long enough. As I approached the church, I looked around to see if there were any other people exiting or entering, but it looked quite dead. I had made sure to come on a weekday to make sure that people weren't going to interrupt my photography. I had just arrived in Alleport and I wasn't going to waste any time taking pictures. Alleport was known for being a historical city. They had quite a few interesting buildings and historical locations that they like to keep preserved in order to attract tourists, but also to set them apart from all of the other cities, which had torn down or had lost a lot of their historical buildings. As I approached the church, the age of it was very evident. It was made of brick and stone. It was very weathered on the outside and gray. It wasn't that impressive. Although it was three or four stories tall and it had a bell tower, it wasn't as intricate as a cathedral. It was quite plain, except for a large round stained glass window at the front of the building. It was spectacular, full of rich, bright colors that looked like jewels that sparkled in the sunlight. It almost looked like a kaleidoscope. I reached the front of the church and reached out to open the large wooden oak doors. They were huge, at least eight feet tall and very wide. I could tell these were original doors, or at least a few decades old. I could see that they had shrunken a little and they didn't quite match up perfectly on the sides along the door frame. There were small cracks along the face of it, but they were still sturdy as ever. I struggled to open the door for a few seconds as it was super heavy. Then the hydraulics kicked in and it helped push open the door. As the door slowly creaked open, it revealed the interior of the church. It was spectacular inside, just like the stained glass window I had seen. Even though it was on the smaller side, it did not diminish from the beauty of it. From the doorway, there was a main walkway that led straight to the altar. There were rows of pews that lined the walkway on either side. It looked like the church could fit about 200 people. The tall arched ceilings were supported by marble columns that were the end of the pews. The church was about three stories. The second story had a loft area where a few other people could sit and watch the church surface if they wanted to. The third story was mainly just the ceiling where there were rows of additional stained glass that filtered in light softly. By the altar, the main round stained glass window, its light carried all the way over to the altar. The sun shone perfectly through the glass in order to cover the altar full of bright and beautiful colors. 
It was also made out of carved marble as it stood on a slight platform above the rest of the church in order to showcase the priest whenever the service was being done. The very back of the church held a large wooden carving that held depictions from the Bible. I took a second to admire the beauty of it, then started snapping photographs right away. As I slowly made my way down the walkway, I looked around checking to see where the entrance was for the second stories and possibly the bell tower. Most of my photography was based on nature or historical buildings. I had a habit of making sure I got the best shots, even if that meant a little trespass. I wandered over to the side of the church where I noticed a set of stairs along the side. I walked up the small narrow stairs up to the second story where the balcony was that overlooked the whole church. I was able to get quite a few shots from that balcony. I was able to get a beautiful close-up shot of the stained glass window as the balcony was directly underneath it. After a few minutes, I got all of the shots that I wanted. I looked around the balcony. I noticed in a corner there was a door that was hidden off to the side. I walked over to it. I placed my hand over it. It was an old wooden door that had many cracks in it, but still held up. Nailed into the front of it, there was a small plaque that was very faded. The plaque said, no entry. I gently pushed open the door and peeked around the side of it. I saw that there was another set of stairs. I opened the door wider a little bit and I looked up the stairs to see that it led even further up past the roof. I knew this must lead up to the bell tower. I listened carefully to see if there was anybody inside the church before I quickly slipped past the door and gently closed it behind me so that it wouldn't make a noise. The stone steps had a wrought iron handrail that lined and circled up all the way to the top. I quickly and quietly as I could climbed up the stairs. My footsteps echoed lightly in the stairwell. As I climbed up, there were small windows that let in light into the stairwell. They were very hard to see through as they were bubbly and kind of wavy, but I could make out some of the town skyline through the windows. I was able to get a few unique shots through the windows. I reached the top of the stairs and gently pushed open the door that was at the top. Thankfully, there was no lock, no cameras, or any alarm system that seemed to be attached to the door. As I pushed open the door, a rush of cool air entered into the stairwell. I glanced past the door. I noticed a giant bell was hanging in a small concrete stone room. I opened the door and gently shut it again to keep the wind from whistling down the stairwell. The bell hung over my head just a little bit and I could see inside of it. The quote unquote room that I was in, it was really just an open air covering. There were large openings that showcased the bell in order for it to move and ring throughout the whole town. The walls below the bell were meant to protect and cover the maintenance people that went up to service the bell. Thankfully, the walls were lower than shoulder height. I put my camera on top of the wall. I was able to get shots overlooking the town. I quickly looked through my camera roll, satisfied with the pictures I had taken. I quickly exited back down to the second floor balcony because I didn't want to push my luck. I sat down in one of the pews just to go over my pictures and see if I wanted to take any more. As I was looking at the pictures I had taken up in the bell tower, I noticed a large billboard 
that talked about safety tips for those who were traveling to Triple Creek Forest. I hadn't seen the billboard on my way into town, but I heard the rumors about what was happening in the forest. Triple Creek Forest surrounded Allenport. It was a huge nature preserve that many people visited. I read on the billboard that there was a large mountain lion population, that people had to be aware and be careful. I hadn't really looked into the disappearances. I had briefly heard about the disappearances in the forest, but I really hadn't thought about it much. I hadn't realized that they had been such a problem in this town. Probably a few residents had been attacked, so they wanted to make sure that not only the tourists who helped to fund the town and keep it alive, but also the people who lived there were safe. I made sure to keep this in mind. I was planning on visiting the forest to take a few shots down by the creek. Triple Creek Forest was pretty average for the most part, except for the fact that it had three creeks that ran through the majority of the forest. Allenport was unique as it was by where the three creeks conjoined into a huge roaring river. Allenport was specifically built close to where this conjunction was. In order to get fresh water, that meant the conjunction was only a short hike from Allenport from the city limits. Suddenly I heard voices entering into the church. It startled me a little bit as I had been sucked into the thoughts about the disappearances. I quickly stood up and went down the stairs again to the first floor. Although no one had seen me enter the bell tower, I didn't want to stick around to be questioned or for people to remember that I was even there. I quietly and quickly slipped out past the front doors of the church. As I walked towards my car, my stomach rumbled in protest. I hadn't eaten anything once I entered the city. It had been a few hours since my last pit stop at a restaurant. I had just immediately gone to the church as it was one of the main buildings I wanted to photograph in the city. As I walked closer to my car, my stomach grumbled more and more. I remember that I had passed a diner on my way over to the church, which had quite a few people in it. I decided to drive over there. It seemed popular, so I hoped that meant the food was good. I drove down to the diner and it was exactly something that you could see from the 50s. It had red leather seats with a black and white checkered floor. It had bar seats along the kitchen where you could be served milkshakes and also food. I sat down by a window in a booth in order to have some more privacy. I wanted to make sure that I didn't want too many prying eyes looking at my camera because it would immediately know that I was probably a tourist and the fact that it was a very expensive model. As I waited for the waitress to take my order, I looked through the photos again, deleting the ones I didn't like. I was also thinking about the other shots that I could take. The church and the diner were in the downtown area of Allenport. The downtown area held most of the historical buildings. Just driving to the diner, I had seen quite a few buildings that I was excitedly thinking about taking some pictures of. As I looked at the pictures on my camera, I listened in on the conversations that were going on around me in the restaurant. It was pretty busy considering the time of day, and I assumed that most of these people were retired residents. As I listened to the conversations going around in the restaurant, I realized they were talking about a recent missing local woman. I listened even closer to the conversation. Four elderly women were talking about the woman in the booth right in front of me. I heard one of them say, Sandra's the second woman gone in half a year. Maria was just taken not even that long ago. Another one of them spoke up, and don't forget poor Jay, just about two years ago. 
They were all quiet for a second before another one piped up. I've been keeping track of the disappearances all around Triple Creek Forest. It's just been escalating all of this time. It used to be one here or there, but now it seems like it's every month that another one is missing. One of the elderly women spoke up. She said, I have forbidden my children and especially my grandchildren from stepping foot into that forest. I live close to the edge of the forest and I have seen quite a few footprints tracked around in my yard. I've also seen at least two instances of a mountain lion within the past three months. A shocked murmur went through the whole group. One of the elderly men said, already two? The elderly woman said, yes. Those shy creatures are becoming extremely bold. Before, I would see maybe one every couple of years, but to see already so many, I don't understand what's happening. One of the other elderly women said, all I've heard is that only pieces of them are found. These things are ravenous. The group then continued on about the conspiracy theories that they had heard about what was happening to the people and why the mountain lion population was bigger than before. We talked about all sorts of things and also maybe that the mountain lions were being pushed out to hunt humans because of the logging that was going on close to the forest. Or perhaps that there was some illegal hunting that was spurring the creatures on. Either way, it seemed that once you were gone, you were gone forever. As I ate and finished up my meal in the diner, I was a little worried about the disappearances and it gave me pause. I thought about ditching the whole excursion to Triple Creek Forest and just photographing the downtown area. However, I wanted to get my own shots of the river conjunction. From the few photos I had seen from other photographers, it was a beautiful sight. It was a wide expanse of water where the three creeks flowed down into the river almost like a trident. I wanted to put my own name on a photo like that. I decided to make it an afternoon trip when I knew that there would be quite a few other people along the trail, so I wouldn't have to be alone. If I didn't see anybody walking along, I was gonna wait until somebody showed up. When I finished eating, I left the restaurant and went back to my hotel. It was one of the last historic hotels in the downtown area. As I pulled up to the hotel, it was backlit by the sun with bright orangey yellows and reds. The hotel was a brick red building that was four stories tall. It had some vines crawling up the sides with large trees shading it on some sides. It was well maintained. Its windows reflected brightly the sun. The wood and brick details that covered the walls of the hotel were clean and prominent. They were not faded away. Even though they were a bit worn, there was love that was put into this hotel. I entered into the hotel. The inside had maintained its original glory. The hallway that led up to the main desk sparkled with the stone floor that was shiny and waxed. In the adjoining rooms, there was thick, lush carpet that covered the floors. The wood on the walls and the furniture were a deep, glossy brown. Thankfully, the furniture was slightly modernized. The sitting areas had comfortable couches and chairs. I could see around the corner that there was a breakfast area that had modern-looking tables and chairs. I went up to the front desk and rang the bell. A lovely older woman emerged from the back area. 
she introduced herself as Miss Pritchett. She was the owner of the hotel and she had been the caretaker of it for many years. As she checked me in and gave me my key, she gave me a little history about the hotel. She said the hotel was built over a hundred years ago when Allenport was first being founded. It was a small town back then and it was being built as the country expanded into different parts of the state. She said proudly this hotel had been passed down in her family. She said that her children and her grandchildren helped take care of the place and that they had been here multiple times over the years and that they had lived there for quite a number of years until they moved out. Miss Pritchett said that she liked to keep the decor as original as possible, but with some modern comforts. She asked what I was doing in Allenport. I told her that I was just a photographer looking to get some nice shots of the city and the historical buildings and also at the Triple Creek Forest Conjunction. Miss Pritchett froze and she turned to look at me and said very seriously, please do not go. I was a little taken aback by her sudden seriousness as she had just been very easygoing up until that point. I asked, is this because of the disappearances? Miss Pritchett nodded her head and said, we don't know what's going on, but from what I've heard, it seems like the animals are crazed in that forest. Definitely do not go down there. From what I've heard, a majority of the people who are taken are women. I highly advise against you going there. Most of us don't even go down to the forest anymore. Most people who go into there are tourists who are looking for thrill or ghosts, something to get a rise out of themselves. I nodded my head and said, I'll make sure to take that into consideration. As Miss Pritchett handed me the key, she grabbed onto my hand. She said, please, just take my word for it. Don't go into the forest. If you must go down into there, make sure you're in a group. And whatever you do, do not separate from them. If you have to go take a piss, take it right there with your friend right next to you. Do not leave each other. I looked at her with wide eyes. I nodded my head in agreement. She let go of my hand and said, have a good night. If you need anything, please come down and talk to me. I said, thank you, Miss Pritchett. She shook her head and waved her hand in the air. She said, please just call me Emily or Miss Emily. I thanked her again and said, have a good night, Miss Emily. I made my way up the curving wooden staircase that was lined with an intricately patterned carpet. I settled into my room and put away some of my clothing and I got ready for a little night photography in order to bump up my skills and also to see what the downtown looked like at night. Before I made my way back downstairs, I took a tour around the whole hotel, taking pictures of some interesting aspects of the architecture. I also went into a few break rooms that held quite a few interesting relics from the past, such as old microwaves and refrigerators that the staff used and that were completely outdated. Luckily on the fourth floor, I found an open window that led to one of the fire escapes. I opened the window as much as I could and shimmied my way out onto the metal staircase. It was a fire escape that lined one side of the building. From that spot, I could see most of the downtown and out over the neighborhoods. The lights glittered and glowed like little stars scattered across the dark city. I was able to get some really nice shots 
of the last bits of sunset, along with some nice shots of the city at night. As I crawled back out the window, I heard some footsteps coming around the corner. I quickly closed the window as much as I could and then started walking away from it calmly as possible. As I rounded the corner, I saw a maid doing her busy work and she greeted me as I passed by. Not a clue about what I had been doing. As I made my way outside, I told Miss Emily that I would be back late because I was going to take some nighttime pictures of downtown. She told me to be careful and that she would wait for me as long as she could. I thanked her and then made my way to downtown. The downtown area of Allenport was clean and full of people. There were families and couples who wandered in and out of the thrift stores. The restaurants were full of people eating and enjoying the company of each other. I enjoyed the lively atmosphere. Downtown felt like it was full of life and full of friendly people. They seemed to treat everybody as a familiar face. As I made my way down the streets, I took pictures of the beautiful architecture, also of the people who were enjoying their evening with their bright laughing faces. I drifted in and out of a few of the thrift stores. There was quite a few in the downtown area, more than I expected. They were all jam-packed full of antiques, such as old pictures, clothes, hats, and other various trinkets. I came to one particular thrift store called Meridian. I went inside and was immediately greeted by a friendly elderly woman. She introduced herself as Miss Daisy Merle. We started chatting as she was closing up the store as she wanted to get back before it was too late. I asked her about the history of the area and she told me that this thrift store had been in the family for quite a few generations. She told me that when Allenport was being built a hundred years ago, that it was built to be the center hub for the whole city, that the Chinese immigrants that had immigrated were the backbone of the crew, that they had constructed most of the buildings and had created underground passageways that connected most of the downtown area and into some parts of the city. She said one of her relatives had married one of the immigrants despite the climate of the time. She said the knowledge of the passageways had been passed down in her family and they had lots of maps that had been passed down as well. And they had helped the historians locate these tunnels. She led me downstairs and I saw that there was a giant basement under her thrift store, twice the size of the one on the main floor. She led me over to a metal door. When she opened it, she flicked on a light and down the passageway lights flicked on. She pointed and said that this was one of the entrances to some of the passageways that connected to the other stores. She said that unfortunately, that this passageway wasn't that long and just around the corner was a dead end. She said as most of the large department stores had faded away, the blocks had gotten chopped up into smaller and smaller pieces of land, where then the passageways would then be divided as well for the new stores. She flicked off the light and the passageway was blanketed in darkness. I thanked her profusely for all of the knowledge. I had no idea the history of this place. She smiled sadly and said most of the people who researched the town only scratched the surface of the history. They came mostly for the buildings and the architecture, but the real heart of the history was down in those tunnels where the immigrants had made their way and had hidden down there in order to not be seen by the richer folks on the main street levels. She said it was a shame. Most of the history was in their small local museum and didn't really make headlines. 
I asked her if there were any stores that were nearby that had larger tunnels or some that were even complete that led to other places. She thought for a second and said that the tunnels hadn't been mapped in quite a few decades. There wasn't enough interest or money in order for people to go down there. She said a lot of the shop owners didn't want to deal with people going around and prodding into their basement with all their junk and maybe a couple secrets. However, she said that there was a store a few blocks down that maybe had some complete tunnels still left as it was also family owned and had been there for quite a few years unchanged. She said to ask at the Davis Furniture Store to see if I could manage to make my way down there and to see if they still had any complete or open tunnels for me to photograph. I made sure to take a note of it to check it out after my hike tomorrow. Even though Miss Emily had warned me, I still had my mind set on going into the forest. I said goodbye to Miss Merle and had been walking around for a couple hours, so I decided to go back to the hotel. I said goodnight to Miss Emily again as I made my way up to my room. I got ready for the night and put away my stuff and put on my pajamas. As I looked out the window just to see a final glance of the city, I noticed that there were several black SUVs pulling into the parking lot. I watched as several men and a few women got out of their cars and headed inside to the hotel. I quietly crept out of my room and went over to the main staircase that went all the way down to the first floor. I listened carefully as the voices drifted up. I could barely hear, but I caught snippets of the conversation. From what I could piece together, the people were there from either the FBI or the police department. They were interested in investigating the Triple Creek Forest and they were planning on staying a couple of nights in the hotel while they investigated. Miss Emily sounded quite concerned and I could hear the strain in her voice as she talked to them about the several people who had gone missing recently in their city. I listened as carefully as I could, but it was really hard for me to hear what they were saying. I crept down the staircase to get closer. As I crept closer, I could see one of the men. He seemed to be in charge and had introduced himself as Frank Pierce. He was the main one holding the conversation with Miss Emily. The other people with him were going in and out of the hotel, bringing in supplies and luggage. They all wore dark, semi-formal clothes, such as slacks and knitted sweaters. They looked clean cut, but normal. I was kind of expecting them to be in suits, but I guess they didn't want to attract too much attention to themselves. Suddenly, Frank looked up at me and I froze, my eyes going wide. I didn't expect him to feel my presence. I made my way downstairs and he started asking me a few questions about who I was and why I was there. He had a smooth and calm voice, but he had an intensity to him that made it feel like an interrogation. I told him everything about how I was there to just take photographs. I was going to go to the Triple Creek Forest and that I heard about the disappearances. I asked him if that's why he was there. He was silent for a moment. He nodded his head yes, and he said to be careful in the forest, that they had a couple suspicions about what was going on. But in general, they wanted to make sure that the mountain lions, which seemed to be the prime suspects, didn't get out of hand and to see what they could do to control the situation. And also to not have the story get out of hand. I asked, since it was mountain lions that seemed to be the ones that were the killers, why was the FBI involved? His face was mostly still except for a brief flash of a smirk. 
He said that they were working with the local rangers who had a very deep understanding of the terrain. As the disappearances had crossed several state lines, the FBI had to be involved as this was now a federal issue. I didn't want to push the issue too far. I was, I was a little scared of Frank Pierce with his almost black eyes. I thought it was a little weird that the FBI was here as I thought they mostly dealt with humans, not animals. And wasn't there any federal or government agencies that were particularly devoted to, I don't know, the wildlife? But I kept that to myself and just nodded my head and said, oh, that makes sense. Once I satisfied all of his questions, I was able to go back to my room. We said goodnight and I was a little shaken by the encounter, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from going tomorrow to Triple Creek. I had been in cities that were far more dangerous and areas that had been way more sketchy than this. I just had to make sure that I was aware of my surroundings. I woke up a little late the next morning in order to get some rest and to make sure I had enough energy for the hike. I double and triple checked my gear to make sure I was ready for anything along the trip. I went downstairs and had a quick bite to eat in the little breakfast area in the hotel. I saw Miss Emily again and she saw all of my stuff by my feet. She had a sad look on her face and just shook her head. And she said, just be careful. I promised her that I would and that hopefully I would be back by late afternoon, but definitely before it got dark out. She said, I know you'll be back. I quickly finished up my breakfast and then headed out towards the Triple Creek Forest. As I made my way down the road, the houses became further and further apart with more trees filling in between the gaps. Then the city merged into the forest. It was thick with pine trees and bushes. I opened up the windows and I could smell the fresh, clean air. It was only a 20 to 30 minute drive down to the main parking area for the hiking trail, but it seemed like it was so much further away than it actually was from the city. As I pulled into the parking area, I noticed that there wasn't that many cars I got a little concerned as I didn't see anybody. I wanted to go in with a group of people, but I was worried that I was gonna have to wait a long time before anybody else showed up. I got out of my car and prepared my stuff for the hike, making sure that it was strapped down and wasn't going to fall off. I checked over the settings in my camera and took a few test shots in the lighting of the forest. As I did that, I looked around a little nervously as the parking lot was barely a quarter full and there was no one in sight. I could hear a couple of voices off in the distance, but I could tell that they were going away from me and not coming back. As I waited, I took a couple steps down into the trail and then I would get a little scared and I would go back right to my car. I waited and waited and waited. I probably was there for 45 minutes before finally another car pulled up beside mine. I looked in through the windows as it was pulling into the spot and I saw a family. There were three kids inside, which they all looked to be about pre-teens. And I saw that there was a woman and a man in the front seats. I introduced myself to them as they got out of the car. I said, hi, my name is Celeste and I'm hoping that I could join your group today on the hike. I really don't want to go down there alone. The man introduced himself as Jason Davis. I asked him, are you the same Davis that owns the furniture store? 
He smiled and nodded his head and said, yes, I am. He said, you are welcome to join us. I completely understand why you would want to go in a group. But there's nothing to worry about. Those disappearances, they're very few and far between. People are just making a very big deal out of it. Many people go missing in the forest because they just don't understand it. He said, I've been coming to these woods since I was a child with my parents and my grandparents and my lovely wife over there. He pointed to the woman who waved and was also helping her children with their backpacks. He said, my wife, Eliza, she's also born and bred here. She knows this forest as well, so there's nothing to worry about. I felt comfortable with them. They were warm and friendly. The kids, understandably, were not very interested in a conversation with me and immediately headed off down the hiking path. I hung back with the parents, and I talked with Jason and Eliza. They told me more about the history of downtown Allenport, their business, and some other trivial matters that were happening in the city. It was a surprisingly short hike. It took about as long as I had waited out in the freaking parking area. I could hear the rush of water even from quite a distance away. As we got closer, it grew louder and louder, as if it had a life of its own. As we got closer, the trees started thinning out, and I could see the light bouncing off the tree branches and the bark. We finally made it towards the end of the trail, and I saw a beautiful sight. I saw the three small creeks converge into one huge river, just like the pictures I had seen, except it was so much more lively than I could imagine. There was a mist in the air as the waves crashed onto the rocks. The water sprayed up and tumbled over each other and a beautiful dance. The trees that lined the creek and the river were tall and strong. They were full of life and energy that just added to the mystical air around the whole area. I followed the kids as they jumped over logs and rocks through one of the smaller creeks into a strip of land that was in the middle of the creeks. I could hear and see the kids running around on their tiny little island, and I could see remnants of forts that had been built. There were sticks and logs propped up against trees that held some tattered remains of tarps and bed sheets that obviously other children had used before to play their make-believe games. I made sure to look behind me and I could see Jason and Eliza sitting down by the river and enjoying the view and watching their kids as they ran in between the trees. I started taking lots of pictures, mesmerized by the scene and the whimsical atmosphere. I took some pictures of the kids as well as they played around in their own makeshift fort. I made sure to always keep an eye on them and to be close to them, and I didn't want her too far from the group. I saw on the little island next to ours that there was a very nice outcropping of stone that protruded out over the water. It looked like a wonderful shot. I hopped over the creek that separated the islands and went over to the stones. There were huge boulders that jutted out from the front of the island. I climbed on top of them and started taking pictures from my vantage point. It was mesmerizing to see the water crashing down right underneath my feet. I got so sucked into taking pictures, I realized that I couldn't hear the kids' voices anymore. I started getting worried and I tried to retrace my steps, but the pieces of rock that I had used had washed away. So I had to find another way to cross the creek without getting too wet and also 
just making sure I didn't slip and break my camera. I managed to make my way to the next island where the outcropping of boulders had been. I left my backpack there right by the boulders so that way I didn't have to lug it around and also so that way it wouldn't slow me down as I crossed the creek. However, when I went to go look for it, it wasn't there. I noticed that there was a couple of spots where there were drag marks. I thought that maybe some animals had come over and ripped open my pack because there had been a few granola bars in there for emergency snacks. I cursed myself for bringing any food along as I knew those animals probably smelled it out. I quickly went further into the little island to try to see if I could find my backpack. I kept a sharp eye out for anything that moved. As I got closer to the most interior part of the island, it was pretty quiet there. I could barely hear the water, as it was truly quite a big island in the middle of the creeks. Finally, I found my backpack, which seemed like right in the middle of the island. I started gathering up the stuff, and I checked it over. It seemed to be in fine condition. It didn't really have any scratch marks, and it wasn't ripped open. There was no food gone. As I stood up to leave, I saw Jason making his way over. I waved to him and started walking towards him. He waved at me to stay where I was at. I was a little confused and wondered what was the problem. As he came closer to me, Jason asked where his kids were. I said, they're on the other island. That's the last time I saw them. He said that he was worried. He couldn't find them. He was worried that they had crossed all of the creeks to go to the far side, which they were not allowed to do. Because just past the last creek was really deep forest where people could easily get lost. I was getting a little worried and I said, I don't know where they went. He asked if I could follow him and help him search for his kids and that he was so mad at them for wandering off. I agreed and we hopped over the last creek again, back to where I had just been. Frank led the way as he knew the different paths into the forest. We started calling out to them as when we were a few hundred feet away from the river as we didn't see any sign of them and hoped that they could hear our voices. However, after a couple of yells, Frank shushed me and said, if they didn't respond, they're not going to respond now. Save your voice for later. Frank led me deeper and deeper into the forest. I realized that it had been a probably 10 minutes of walking and he hadn't asked for me to call out to his kids. I asked, do you think they really went out this far into the forest? Jason looked over his shoulder and he said, you'd be surprised what others will do when someone isn't keeping an eye on them. After a couple more minutes, Jason sat down to adjust his shoes and socks. I sat down right next to him and pulled out a granola bar as I was getting a little hungry. As I ate, Jason took off his own backpack and started rifling through his stuff. I looked over to see what he was doing when suddenly Jason pulled out a pan and smacked me hard against the side of my head. I fell over to my side, completely dazed. I looked over at him so confused about what had just happened. Then he was on top of me, his arms wrapped around my neck, choking me. I tried to kick him, punch, scratch him. My screams came out, but like gasps. I could barely get any breath in. I flailed around, trying to get free from his grasp, but his arms were way too strong for me. The world slowly started fading into black as I tried desperately anything I could to escape. But my arms went limp and weak and just gently hit him as I tried 
to stay awake. Then finally, my whole world blacked out. When I woke up again, I was groggy and I could barely make out what was happening, my brain still trying to recover from being hit. I could feel that I was tied up by my hands and feet and that there was a rope gagging me so I couldn't scream. I was in a deep hole. It was dusty and dirty and I could feel the leaves crunching under me as I slowly flipped myself onto my back. I could hardly see anything and there was light barely filtering in through some cracks of what appeared to be leaves. It wasn't a door, but it appeared to be some sort of netting that held up leaves that completely covered where I was in. The light was weak and I could tell that it was night out already and that the moon was barely making its way through the darkness. I tried to sit up, but my head spun like crazy and I immediately fell back to my side again. I was so dizzy I couldn't even think straight and I faded back into unconsciousness. When I woke up again, I could feel myself being bumped along hard in a trunk. I could barely see the red tail lights and I could smell gas and oil in the trunk. I moved around and I could feel that some of the leaves were still stuck onto my body and I was still tied up. I was barely conscious for maybe a minute of the ride before I passed out again. I felt like I was drugged, that this was more than just a hit, that I had just been given something, but I don't remember when. When I woke up again, my mind was clear. When I sat up, I was able to handle it and I didn't have such a horrible dizzy spell. Also, I realized that I wasn't tied up anymore, that I was completely free to move around. I struggled to see in the dark, but it was completely pitch black. I shakily stood up and I felt around with my hands frantically to see how big the room was, to see if I would smash right into the small roof. But surprisingly, I felt nothing. There was nothing around me. I didn't bump into anything. I didn't feel anything except the floor beneath my feet. The floor felt like it was made out of plywood. And when I stepped on it, there was a kind of metallic thud. I slowly shuffled one step forward and then another and another, reaching out desperately to see if I could feel anything in the room. I felt completely lost and blind in this room, completely alienated from any sort of reality as I wandered into this dark abyss. Suddenly, I bumped into something. I let out a small yell. I gently reached for it. I realized that it was a couch. As I felt more around it, I realized that this must be a container full of furniture. I then remembered that Jason was the owner of Davis Furniture, that this must be where he kept his extra stock and where he had them come in with his extra inventory. I slowly made my way past the furniture. I felt along the walls and I could feel that they were covered in plywood as well. I started frantically knocking on it to see if anybody could hear me, but the plywood that covered it was muffling the sound of everything. As I got closer to the end of the container, the door suddenly opened up. But it wasn't the normal door that you would see in a shipping container. It was a regular-sized door that had been cut into the side of the container. The light flooded in, blinding me for a second. It It was so bright. I made my way over to the doorway. 
As I looked down, I could see that there was a hallway made out of rough, patchy stone and dirt. I realized this must be one of the tunnels that was underground from his store, just like the ones that Miss Merrill had told me about. I made my way down the stairs, even further underground. I didn't know where I was going or how deep this pathway would go. The tunnels were lined with strings of lights that illuminated it brightly and I could see everything perfectly clear. As I made my way down, all I could hear was my own raspy breathing and my feet shuffling along. I reached another set of stairs and I could see that it opened up to a larger room at the end of it. As I walked down and got closer to the larger doorway, I could see that there was a huge room that descended even further. This particular tunnel looked even older. The walls were smoother and I could tell that more care had been put into this area. When I reached the doorway, I looked out over the entire room. I realized it was a house that was built right into the ground. It was large and two stories and it was completely open. The doorway that I was at was at a landing that held a small building that looked like there was a kitchen inside of it and a couple of chairs and tables were out in front of it. The stairs went further down and I could see that on the second landing that there was a living room down there. There was furniture, a TV, lamps and bookcases. What was really strange is that along the way, right next to the stairs, there was what seemed like a fountain that flowed downwards. However, this fountain didn't seem like it was filled with water. It was filled with something else. It was really dark and the whole place smelled really bad, along with bleach and other sort of cleaning stuff. As I made my way further down the stairs, I realized at the very end, there was a large pool, but it wasn't a regular pool. It was more of like a small pond. As I got closer to it, I saw that there were things floating around in it in the dark water. There were bubblers in it as well, moving the pieces around. I got even closer and I realized that the smell was getting worse and worse, along with the smell of bleach. And I could see that things were floating around in the water as well, chunks of stuff. As I got closer, I realized what it was. It was body parts floating in blood, their skin stained red with how long they had been floating around in there. I saw arms, fingers, legs, feet, even parts of the torso floating in there in this pond, like some sort of demented ornaments. And the blood, it was almost black with how rotten it was. And the chunks were probably pieces of flesh or clotting blood. It was too much for me to handle and I threw up next to the side of it, quickly moving away from it. I went and stumbled over to one of the couches. I sat down on it to get my composure and to stop my head from spinning. As I looked around at the furniture, I realized that there was a strange carpet on the floor. It looked like a leather tan hide from a cow, but it was definitely a strange color. And the way that it looked, it was more fragile than a tan hide should look like. I looked over to my side at the lamp next to me. I realized it had the same sort of tan hide stretched across it. The light eerily glowed through it in a sickly sort of yellow light. 
As I stared more at it, I could see that it looked very crispy. I had never seen a hide that looked like that before. Past the lamp, I could see on the wall were lines of mannequin heads filled with different types of wigs. I thought that was really odd that they were displayed so prominently. I stood up and went to go look over at them. As I got closer, I could see that they had some sort of bald cap attached to them and they rested tightly against the heads of the mannequins. I looked over at each of the wigs. There was a variety of them, some short and blonde, brunette, black, wavy, straight, all different kinds. Then it all clicked in my head. I looked over at the wigs, then at the lamp and at the carpet. I knew that it had to be more parts of the body. There was just no way that it wasn't real. I could see on one of the mannequin heads, the slow drip of blood had crusted over on its side of its face. I stumbled backwards, completely horrified at what was happening. That all of the victims, the rest of their bodies, they were here. Their bodies were here, trapped as trophies for Jason. I couldn't believe what he had done to them. All of those missing parts of them, they were all here. This apartment was their grave. This underground tunnel right underneath his furniture store. I turned around, desperate to escape. I did not want to be another one of his trophies. When I turned around, I saw underneath the first landing, there was a brick and stone wall with a door placed into it. I thought that it probably wasn't an exit since I was deep underground, but maybe it held a second set of stairs so that way I could escape because I had no idea how to get out of the container. I wanted to see all my options first before I tried to escape. I quickly went over to the door. It was a large metal door. It looked like something that you would see in an industrial refrigerator. When I opened it up, I was greeted with a horrifying sight. Standing in the middle of the room was Jason Davis. He stood there with an apron and a large clear mask covering his face and he was all splattered with blood. In the middle of the room was a large metal table and surrounded by it were hooks. The hooks had different parts of the body dangling, dripping blood into buckets underneath them. In the middle of the room, there was a woman whose body parts were all broken and chopped up into different pieces and she was jumbled up like a puzzle. The room was covered in blood. It smelled horrible. It reeked even worse than his blood fountain. I screamed and slammed the door shut as he rushed over towards me. I quickly started running back up the stairs I had just come down. I could hear him laughing as he gave chase. I quickly went into the little kitchen building to see if there was anything that I could use in there. I saw a couple pots and pans and there was a few small knives but nothing significant. I grabbed all of the knives that I could and kept the biggest one in my right hand ready to use it. He busted down the door to the little kitchen building. I jumped out the window that was thankfully there over the kitchen sink. Thankfully there was a small strip of dirt that I landed on so I didn't tumble down and went straight to the second story. I quickly crawled over to one of the sides of the building. Jason was trying to stab me with a pitchfork that he had in his hands, straining through the window and laughing as he chanted that he was going to come get me, that there was no escape. 
I ran all the way back up the stairs into the container. I hid behind one of the couches and waited. I could hear him shuffling up the stairs slowly, taking his time as he knew that I had no way out. As he climbed up the stairs, I tried to make my way to the other side of the container as far away from him as I could, into the darkest part of it. When I reached the other side, I realized that it was the actual doors. I tried to open them, but they were locked shut. Tears rolled down my face as I grew so frustrated that I couldn't find my way out. I quickly slipped behind a couch again, waiting for him. As he entered into the container, I realized he had a large flashlight with him, looking around and peering in between the furniture. I desperately thought of anything, something that could help me. I had one idea that maybe could help me. As he came closer to my side, where I was hiding behind the couch, I slid across to go to a skinny table, which my arm could reach right under it to the other side. As he walked closer, I prepared my arm and my hand with one of the smaller, sharpest knives that I had. I counted his steps as he came closer and closer, waving his light around looking for me. He was chuckling to himself as he knew that I had almost no chance. I counted his steps. One, two, one, two. I saw his foot enter my field of vision and I stuck my hand out quickly and I saw his foot stomp right onto the knife. I could feel the knife bend under his weight and I quickly slashed his ankle with the broken knife. I quickly jumped up from behind the table and threw a knife at him, which landed and stuck into his arm. He let out an enraged scream as he tried to get the knife out of his arm. I quickly threw a chair at him that was from right behind me and it hit him in the face. He dropped his flashlight. I quickly picked it up and I started smashing his face with the blunt end of it. He quickly reached up and grabbed both of my arms hard with his hands and I felt paralyzed with fear. I still saw that this knife was stuck in his arm and I knew how to do something, anything. I had to escape. I didn't want to die here. There was nothing that I wanted more than just to escape. I quickly shoved myself towards him and landed my shoulder right into the knife, which drove it even further into his arm. His whole body winced in pain and his hands loosened up a little, which I then was able to kick him right in the stomach and push myself away from him. I made sure to hold onto my other knives that I had and quickly ran back to the doorway. I realized as I was running back, directly opposite of it was another door, but I could see that there was a huge padlock on it. I thought this must be how he entered and exited into the container and then down into those tunnels. I paused for a second thinking that I could maybe break down the door to get into his furniture store, but I looked back and he was charging right at me. I flew down the stairs again, past the blood fountain, past the human skin furniture and past the human wigs of the skin scalps that he kept as his most prized trophies. I went and locked myself into the refrigerator room, but there wasn't really a way to lock myself in there. I used some of the metal chairs in order to block the way and to keep him from opening the door fully by sticking it under the handle. As soon as I had placed another chair to reinforce it, I could hear him struggling with it and jiggling open the door handle. I could see it moving furiously as I could hear him yelling. I quickly went around and I took the buckets of blood and I splashed them by the doorway 
hoping that maybe it was slippery enough for him to lose his balance so maybe I could get the upper hand. And then I waited with the two knives that I had left over because the other ones have fallen from my grasp. They were small paring knives that probably wouldn't do any damage, but it was all I had, the only hope I had. I tried not to focus on the arms and legs that swayed around me or the woman who laid on the table, her blank eyes staring up at the ceiling. I could hear him banging on the door furiously, trying his best to open the lock. Thankfully, the chairs that I put had held in place. Then suddenly it went quiet. I didn't hear anything for a couple minutes. Then I could hear banging from further away. I heard things shattering and breaking and lots of footsteps stomping. I realized that there must be more people inside. Then I heard gunshots that were muffled by the door. And then it was all quiet again. After a minute or two, I heard a knock on the door. Then a voice gently spoke through the door. This is Frank Pierce. Celeste, we know that you're in there. It's all safe now. You can come out. I couldn't believe it was his voice that I met him here again of all places and that he was able to find me. I quickly moved the chairs out of the way and opened the door. I saw Mr. Pierce standing there and I quickly rushed over to him, dropping the knives along the way. He put an arm around me as I shook and cried about the whole ordeal. He shielded me from the view of Jason Davis lying in a pool of his own blood, but he was writhing in it still alive. I looked up at Mr. Pierce and he could tell in my eyes what I was asking. He said, I'm not sure if he's going to make it, but I hope he doesn't. He quickly led me back up the stairs, also trying to hide my view of the blood fountain, although all of those memories were burned into my mind and I could never forget it. He led me out through the opposite doorway that had been locked before, but the door was now completely broken Inside the furniture store, there was many police officers, ambulances, and a ton of other government officials. Frank stayed by my side and told me how he had found me. He told me the suspicions that they had were right, that it had to be a resident of Allenport, that too many of the bodies had come from this town in particular. He said that Miss Emily had raised hell when I hadn't shown up again, and that she knew that I had to be missing. He said that they were able to track my movements and that my phone had been able to trace my steps and they had seen that the last people that I had been with was the Davis family. He said that they were the last on his suspect list because of the way that Jason was. He was friendly and he was kind and he had a large friend group. None of his friends that they had interviewed would say that he was capable of this. But once Frank interrogated his wife, Eliza, she broke down and said that he was strange, that he had weird habits and a fiery temper that he hid from everyone else except her and her children. He would disappear late at night and would be gone for days. He said it was for business trips, but she didn't know and she never asked because she didn't want to get his wrath. Frank said that the key piece was when they had talked to Miss Merle because they had already looked through all of the store, but that there was a hidden doorway that she informed them about because she knew that there had to be an underground passageway because she had seen it before decades ago and there was no way that it had been all filled up. Frank said that the doorway was actually hidden very carefully 
not only in a closet, but behind a bookcase. That container that had been in was his inventory container, which nobody questioned. He needed the extra space in order to keep some supplies. I couldn't believe the elaborate plans that he had gone through and that obviously he'd been doing it for years. Frank started to go into a little detail about what was down there, but as soon as he saw my face, he stopped. He told the EMTs to take me to the hospital and that he would come see me again as soon as he wrapped up here. As I was loaded into the ambulance, I was so grateful for the nightmare to be over. I couldn't believe that he had crossed paths with such a psycho. He was everybody's worst nightmare wrapped up and that he had hidden it for so long. As the ambulance pulled away from the store, I relaxed a little into the bed. Thankfully, I had survived. Thank you everybody for listening to this week's tale. When I had this dream, oh my gosh, it was so creepy and disgusting. I was definitely a little scarred by what I saw in my dream. Jason Davis is probably up there with one of the worst serial killers of all time. He has a lot of things wrapped up in his demented mind that he'd like to do to people. Let me know down below how you like the story. Also, let me know if you would like his version of events, if you would like it from his perspective. If you do, we can see what Jason did all of these years, what he did to his victims, and to see what made him this way. Or if he was born like this. I really hope that you like the story. I'm going to be doing a lot more of like kind of true crime, although technically these are not real stories. Thankfully, nobody was hurt in the making of this story. Um, but it'll be along the lines of true crime, you know, murder, mystery, disappearances, kidnappings and such. So definitely stay tuned in if you would love to hear that because I definitely have fun making and creating them. Here's your second reminder to like, follow, subscribe, and share. Also follow us on Instagram. You can see our posts and different stories and when they're going to be up. Also, you can see what I look like in my dream goddess form. You can find out a little bit more about me, who I am, and what I do. Thank you all so much for being here and listening to this story. I hope to see you all again for next time. This is Celeste, signing off. Until again. I'll see you in your dreams. Bye, everybody.